What is up? It is me, George G. We've got another awesome episode of the Aligned Money Show coming your way. We welcome back Mark Hebner. He is the founder and CEO of Index Fund Advisors. He is an author, a thought leader, a speaker, all of the things. And he wanted to come back on to talk about something that even after 25 years of being that industry leader that he learned. And it's some information that could lead to major changes in how the industry thinks about, and more importantly, reports rates of return on investments. So I think you're really going to get a lot out of it and enjoy it. There is a visual aspect to this episode. And if you want to follow along, you can watch us on YouTube or You can find the link to the specific image that we're going to be talking about in the notes of the show. Let's go. Mark, welcome back to the show. I know I just just finished reading the uh, 20th version of Index Funds. It's an absolutely beautiful book. And I know that you are just about to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Index Fund Advisors. And I was just wondering, could there be anything that this guy doesn't know so are you ever learning learning anything new, Mark? You know, it's one of my favorite sayings that every day we learn something new. In fact, with my kids, we used to sit around the uh, dinner table and ask them, you know, what was your best thing today, your worst thing today, and what did you learn today for that very reason? So, yes, uh, and I've just learned something that's really important that I'm dying to share with uh, your listeners. All right, let me bring up bring up our chart here. And there it is. And for the folks who are listening and not watching on YouTube, I will put this um, on the website or the actual page. So in the notes, sure. you can click on it and, and, and be able to follow along with us. So walk me through this, sir. So let me give you a little background. On March 5th of this year, Uh, Our company is celebrating its 25th anniversary of providing investment advice uh, over the internet largely, but we also have a whole uh, team of uh, investment advisors, wealth managers, we call them, that work with clients. And so as part of our uh, celebration of this uh, 25th anniversary, we were going to do a little dinner and I was going to just get up and give a little 10 minute presentation. And one of my thoughts was, well, it'd be cool to show where the S&P 500 was when we started and where is it today and where was the Dow and then what is it today so people could see how these things grow because it kind of creeps up on people. They don't really know uh, how quickly it has been changing. So I go to my data team and I ask them to present this data in a little table for me. And they come back and they say, do you want to see price return or total return? And I thought to myself, let's see, we always use total return when we're showing what we call the IFA indexes uh, throughout my book and on the website. I said, what do you mean about price return? She says, well, the returns that people see and the the, uh, index values that people see on CNBC and uh, Wall Street Journal and Barron's and Market Watch and uh, Morningstar, all of the typical Motley Fool, typical uh, financial media sites, is a price return only. And I thought, oh, well, how much difference does that make? 
And so she goes back and calculates this table for the last 25 years. Now, this is not exactly 25 years because when we made this, it was right at, uh, it was January. So we had year-end data for 2023. So you see there in the subtitle, this was 24 years and nine months. And it showed that the S&P on a price-only basis, what I'm calling a partial return, earned 5.5% for that whole period, or a cumulative return of 282%. And if you went back to March 5th of 1999, the S&P price only index was at 1275. And today, as many of you know, we recently uh, crossed 5,000. It was at about 4,800 at the year end. And then I said to my data team, I said, well, what would the S&P be today had we had a total return, and they came back and gave us the second line, well, the total return was 7.5% per year. So that is a 2% average dividend per year. And uh, the cumulative return, uh, I'm, I'm not using total return because it's a little confusing. It was 508% cumulative with the dividends, which is your actual return. And if you went back to March 5th, uh, the total return index was at 37.58 because it had dividends uh, from 1970 until that date. That's the date they started doing a, a total return index of the S&P 500, the inception date. But here's the bottom line. When you watch the TV and you see uh, 5,000 up there for the S&P 500, it's actually 22,000. And by today, with uh, we're over five thousand, we're probably closer to twenty-three or twenty-four thousand. And so, it's really interesting to me that uh, the financial media is only showing us this partial return of five point five percent over the last you know quarter century for twenty-five years, instead of the seven and a half percent return, which is the return including the dividends. And everybody should know it's basic economics to know that your total return is the change in your price, otherwise known as your capital gain, plus the dividends you earned. And that equals total return. And so it's a little shocking to me that somehow uh, we're kind of stuck in this rut of only looking at the price return. And we're uh, as I dug a little deeper, George, I found out that the DAX, the German uh, exchange uh, index, which is kind of like our Dow, and I'm going to talk about the Dow in a minute, has 40 stocks in it. And I believe it's 1987 that they started uh, collecting uh, dividends on that uh, particular index. And so for a very long period of time, uh, they have been showing the DAX with a total return index. And I heard during Brexit, uh, people started looking at the returns of various countries, and they were shocked to see that Germany had outperformed all of the other countries. But the reason they did is they showed the total return with dividends at all of the other countries, including England, showing with their, with their FTSE 100, were only showing a, uh, a return of just the price change. Now, let me just do the Dow next, unless you got another question. No, you're good. 
Okay, good. So if you looked at the Dow, it's actually quite similar. It was a 5.7% return uh, over this 25-year period, this 24 years and nine months to be precise. And uh, you may have noticed the Dow recently hit 38,000. Well, guess what? It, the total return, or what I would like to call the true return now, is actually 8.2%. And today, the Dow should be almost 100,000 instead of the 38,000 that you see on TV. And even that doesn't go all the way back to like 1926 when the quality Dow data was available. Dow started in the 1800s somewhere, but it was just a bunch of railroads. Um, and so it's probably even far more than that. I heard recently that somewhere between 3 and 4% of the returns of the market since 1926 have been tied to uh, dividends, and the total is only 10%. So roughly 30 to 40% of the total return has been excluded from these indexes that we see on television and on financial media every day. So it is now my mission, <laughs> and I have a nice petition at ifa.com slash petition to uh, get these financial media companies all over the world to switch to total return indexes so investors can get a better sense of the returns there are to be earned, uh, which, and the easiest way to do that is through buying an index fund. Had you bought the S&P 500 index fund, for example, last year, you would have earned about 26.2% return, but the price only index was only 24%. In fact, I just came back from an economic forecast uh, meeting where the economist was going through all these slides about GDP, and the last slide was about the market. And he actually showed the S&P 500 as being up 24.2%. And I had to raise my hand because I couldn't stand it. And I said, oh, but that doesn't include the dividends. With dividends, it was actually 26.2%. And he was a little confused. He thought that included the dividends and it was a total return, but it was not. So uh, this is very prevalent. Uh, as I start talking to journalists at the Wall Street Journal, people who used to work at uh, Standard & Poor's, and just, uh, I, we already have 90 people, 93 people, I believe, this morning that signed our petition. Everybody's going, duh, why aren't we showing total return? So uh, your listeners could uh, sign our petition, maybe talk to whoever uh, they can that has any connections to the financial media. And let's see if we can get this thing switched over uh, to a total return index so people can see the true value. Uh, let me just talk about the FTSE 100. You can go back uh, 40 years, uh, and the price-only index was only 4.5%. But when you included the dividends, were at, which were actually 4% uh, in these 100 largest companies in the UK, the, the re total return was 8.5%. That is a dramatic difference in the total return over a 40-year period. Same thing with the Nikkei index. So they were just celebrating yesterday that the Nikkei had reached its uh, all-time high and came back from what it was. I don't even know how far back. Was it in the 80s somewhere? But it turns out if you included dividends, 
it reached that high. It returned back to its high in March of 2021, but somehow everybody forgot to celebrate. We missed out on a great party. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> so, so really basically, um, can you explain what a dividend is? Do all companies issue them? And do I actually get that if I am like, it makes sense to me that if I actually own the individual equity, I, that I get the dividend, but do I get it if I own an index like a mutual fund or an ETF? Yes. So uh, what is a dividend? Uh, so companies make profits and they can do pretty much not, I don't know if it's exclusively, but the main two things they can do with those profits is reinvest them back into the business through new plants and equipment, through salary increases, you name it, all of the ways they can expansion through acquisitions, a lot of different things that companies can do with the capital that they earn and their profits. But the other thing they can do is they can uh, give a dividend to their shareholders. And so let's say uh, Microsoft is trading at, I don't even know what the last price is, $70 or something. And they decide they want to give a $2 per share dividend to their shareholders. Well, they can choose a date uh, and all the shareholders who own shares on that date will be issued a $2 uh, dividend. And this is where things get a little confusing, George, is people think that if the shares were $70 and the company decided to issue them a $2 dividend, that the shares were still worth $70. Well, it's not true. Uh, in looking at the value of a company, the simplest thing to value is the cash. And so uh, literally by definition, the value of a company uh, drops by the amount of the dividend. And this is a, a problem when you think about price-only dividend uh, returns is that $70 stock became $68 after that $2 dividend. And that's what you see in looking at the price-only return. It actually declined in value uh, $2. So uh, that's what a dividend is. And let's see, what was the other part of your question? I'm, I'm getting 72 here. <laughs> you can only if, ask me one at a time, George. No, <laughs> I, 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 I totally get it. If I own the S&P 500 index yes. in an ETF, you do get the dividend. Uh, the ETF issues dividends, but not capital gains. If you own a mutual fund, you are also distributed those dividends. Now, it's not always a good thing. I like to think of a dividend as a forced sale by the company. They're actually requiring you to take a, a component of the shares you own and have it distributed to you. And one of the problems with that is then you get taxed on it. Um, but so a lot of high-tech firms don't issue dividends because they have so many things, a lot of research and development and expansion uh, that they can use those profits for rather than distributing out to shareholders. But if you're a REIT or you're a utility, some of the more classic uh, old uh, companies, older companies, but not always, even uh, Meta or Facebook recently decided to issue a dividend. Uh, they get to a point where uh, they would rather uh, enhance shareholder uh, 
value, at least that's what they're saying. I, I, in reality, it's a break even uh, because uh, the the value of the company drops by the dividend. But they, a lot of people are dividend seekers. And so uh, they think that the company will attract uh, more shareholders by issuing these dividends. But you will get that dividend in a mutual fund and an ETF. Um, uh, in the mutual fund, it's kind of interesting because uh, let's say a, a mutual fund's trading $11. Uh, at the end of the day, they issue a $1 dividend. You will see very clearly that the next morning, the mutual fund is now trading at $10. And if you reinvest those dividends, that $1 can then be in, buy more shares at the $10 price. And so again, just overnight, it looks like your mutual fund lost $1 when in fact, uh, you reinvested it and you ended up with more shares at $10 and the total dollar value of your position remains the same. That's the simplest way to think about dividends as uh, not adding value. But when we're talking about these indexes, what we're concerned about is looking at that $11 price turning into a $10 price and therefore the dividend is not visible when only looking at the price. Is that that's a little confusing? Well, but it, 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 I think that it makes sense. It's confusing as to why it is that that we've all been focused on price return versus total return. Yeah, that's that's part of it. But uh, it's it's really a shame. You know, you, the common number everybody hears is that you know the market pays roughly 10% a year for the last 95 years. Well, that is a total return number. And when you look at these indexes that we look at every day, that is not what you're seeing. You're seeing somewhere between 60 and probably 80% of uh, that gain, of that 10% gain on average, uh, by only looking at the price change, because you're not adding back the dividends that you received along the way. So do you have a sense of why it is that? Yep. So Jason Swag, uh, I've been communicating with at the Wall Street Journal. He's an excellent journalist that has written about uh, sort of passive index investing for, I don't know how many years now, 20 years plus, 25 years maybe. Um, uh, Jason uh, uh, hypothesized that it was for two reasons. The first one, which is really disturbing to me, is laziness <laughs> and that the financial media doesn't want to go through the education and the difficulty of reprogramming everything to read the total return uh, file instead of the price only file. So these indexes are sold as packages. I spoke to somebody from S&P 500. There's a US package. And in that package is the price return and the total return index. So literally, they just have to go in there and recode their uh, the file they're reading to the total return file. Now, I have a call with the S&P data people here coming up maybe in the next week or so, uh, because I want to make sure that's the only issue. Um, uh, I'm a little concerned about what they're going to do about intraday, but I don't think it's a problem because DAX has been doing this for many, many years, and they literally update their total return index every second. 
So, so laziness is number one. The second one is a little bit disturbing, and that is um, to be deceitful. So think about this for a moment. Uh, I was just at this conference, and the and the economist said the S&P 500 was up 24% last year, right? Well, let's say your stockbroker is buying a portfolio of 50 stocks for you, and when you look at your statement, your return for the year includes the dividends that those companies issued. And that stockbroker says, well, look, the S&P was up 24% last year, and I was up 26%. Let's assume for the moment he got the same as the S&P 500 stocks plus their dividends, okay, which is what you earned. And he's going to say, look at that, I beat the benchmark by 2%. I spoke to my friends that that is falsehood, by the way. It's not correct because it didn't include the dividends because it's a price-only index. I spoke to my colleagues in India, and as early back as 2018, a mutual fund was able to report their returns against the price-only index in their financial reporting to their shareholders. Wow. <laughs> So just to make that clear, in the U.S., all the mutual funds, when they compare their performance in, a, in their prospectus or whatever they're, they're showing to the public, they need to compare their return to the total return index, not the price only. So that's another crazy thing. You're, when you're looking around at these returns, you don't even know which one is a price and which one is total which is obvious because this economist just had it wrong. I mean, he's a university economist talking to a room of, there must have been 100 people there, and he had the wrong return there. So um, uh, this is a problem uh, literally that needs to be fixed. And so the, the deceit element is particularly uh, worrisome to me uh, that there are probably a lot of uh, uh, stock pickers, uh, brokers, uh, even registered investment advisors who pick stocks for their clients, who may be, I can't claim that they're all doing this, but may be comp comparing their returns to the price only index and appearing that they're generating an alpha, that's an excess return relative to that benchmark, when in fact, all they're doing is they're counting the dividend and their return but the index they're comparing to does not have the dividend. Does that clear, George? Yeah, I, I think for the most part it is. Well, it is, well what uh, part? I, I need to fix that. What, <laughs> what part's not clear? <laughs> no, it, 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 it totally is. It's, okay, good. It is crystal clear. What jumped into my mind, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but the saying is don't attribute to malice, malice what you can attribute to incompetence. So who right. knows? It could be, yes. Well, that's what Jason said, one or the other. Right. Incompetence might be in the laziness category, right? Uh, these companies just don't want to deal with it. Uh, so let me reserve my comments a little bit. I might discover there is some technological barrier to all of this media getting total return data, but you can go to Yahoo Finance right now and, and uh, put in Standard & Poor's total return, and you will see it there. So it is clearly available to people. And the, the question is, is, is the data feed uh, cleared up? 
but that is just a technological uh, update that's needed because DAX is already doing it and providing that data. In fact, it appeared to me this morning watching CNBC up showed uh, the DAX return right on the screen. And I'm thinking, okay, now we got a real problem because we're now comparing price returns to total returns on the same screen. And most people don't even know it. Actually, I spoke to a CNBC uh, commentator yesterday, uh, somebody you would all know, I don't want to mention his name yet, but uh, he uh, was even unaware that the DAX was a total return index and was also unaware of the magnitude of this particular problem. Anyway, he was so aware he was aware I, that dividends were 40% of the long-term return, but he wasn't aware that what we should see on TV for the S&P is 23,000 instead of 5,000. Go ahead. Got it. One of my big frustrations with the financial industry with financial services is a lack of transparency. It is it is yep. the opaqueness, it is the complexity of of um, just how we represent things and just look at the prospectus and this, that, and the other thing. It's really hard for the ordinary investor, regular consumers and me to be able to make heads and tails. And therefore, yep. it's really important for me that I'm looking at apples to apples versus apples to oranges. So when you're talking about how XYZ financial advisor may be saying, hey, the S&P 500 had a price return of 5.55. But what I did for you, Mr. or Mrs. Client, in my wisdom and fancy ability to pick stocks, I got seven, seven or eight. Yeah. And right. they're using total return against price return. So how do I know as a consumer? So you have to ask how it was benchmarked. So that's just part of the problem. I mean, one of the quotes I'm you know, often quoted for is one of the missing links in investment analysis is the proper benchmarking. Well, before I was referring to whether you had some small caps in your portfolio, some value stocks, and did you include those indexes blended together with let's say the S&P when you were trying to benchmark the return that you earned in your portfolio of 100 stocks, for example, because some of those stocks might have been small. And just by being small, that characteristic means they're riskier. They should automatically have higher returns than large companies. So proper benchmarking is a massive problem. In fact, I'm just quoted in this new film out from a Dimensional Fund Advisors, which is another thing I can provide your listener. We just received an access code yesterday to this film called Tune Out the Noise. Uh, I'm going to give it to you. It's it's called it, the access code is Market Works. Markets Work. I'm sorry, all in capital letters. And I'll I'll provide you the link to that afterwards. But in there, I I, I tell my story how I got started in this business. And one of the questions that was asked of me in '98 probably was. Uh, have you benchmarked your returns? And I thought, no, what is that? Uh, this is, those are exactly what I say in, the, in these uh, documentary films. <laughs> but uh, little did I know prior to this last couple of weeks that that, uh, that question is even further complicated by whether you benchmarked using price returns or total returns. So this transparency is really what my book is all about 
I'm so glad uh, you got a copy and got to look through it. There are so many aspects to investors not understanding what's going on. The taxes is another huge thing. Someone might say you earned this, you know, eight and a half percent return, but that was a pre-tax return. And if the manager is doing a lot of turnover, you're going to get hit, assuming they had a capital gain, with a big capital gains tax at year end. And that needs to be deducted from your return because had you bought the ETF, uh, you received uh, that growth with with almost zero uh, capital gains and uh, just because of its structure. And so it makes that a very tax efficient investment portfolio as opposed to owning actively managed mutual funds or paying a broker to buy a bunch of stocks for you, uh, which are which are very uh, tax inefficient. In fact, in the back of my book, uh, you'll see uh, Theodore Aronson uh, said this book is wonderful. Uh, one of the quotes I have uh, from him in the book is that he would never even own a actively traded portfolio in a taxable account. Of course, if you're in an IRA, you don't have those issues. So maybe you're a little more free to trade, uh, which is a bad thing, but uh, at least you don't have the tax uh, issues. But anyway, in the in the area of transparency, uh, taxes is a big, big deal. So many layers to the onion, Mark. There are. Appreciate. Fees are another huge one. People don't know what fees are paying and so Isn't that there, the truth? there's a lot of them, and we try to uh, to spell those out out uh, throughout my book uh, to try to educate people on what they might be missing out on. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for for highlighting this issue, and it's going to be fascinating to see how the industry responds and to have people circle the wagons, or if everybody just collectively says, "Holy cow, we didn't realize." So, so right. more to come. Good. Where can people learn more about you? How can they get their copy of Index Funds, Mark? Go, go to ifa.com, India Frank Alpha. And right at the top, we have a big banner promoting my book. And in fact, we've done little video, little three-minute videos for each of the 12 steps. I think we're on step eight. We're almost done with that. So you get a quick little preview and you can order the book right there and learn Excellent. about me there as well. So. And maybe in that in the top right corner, you can click petition and sign the petition. And then uh, we're going to get you some information as to how you can watch Tune Out the Noise. Uh, I think this is the best documentary that's ever been put together on investing. Love it. Excellent. Well, more to come. Very good. Th thanks, thanks again, Mark. Talk to you later. So everybody go to ifa.com, check out the videos, get your copy of Index Funds, the 12-step recovery program for active investors. It is the 20th anniversary edition and check out the videos, sign the petition and ask the question of your advisor, how was this benchmarked? And make sure that you are getting apples to apples. So good. Excellent. Good. George, have a great day. Invest and relax. There it is. One more thing, friendly reminder, there's never going to be anybody more interested in your financial success than you are. So act accordingly. There you go.